bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, we have two amazing guests, Mary Franconi and Tiffany Jarvis. Both of them work at Edward Jones, one of the largest investment firms in the world. Mary Franconi is the principal with Edward Jones. She has over 25 years of experience leading people's strategy and operations in financial services. She has a doctorate of education from the University of Pennsylvania, as well as a master's in human resources and a master's in education. She's a board member with KIPP St. Louis, which is a growing network of free public charter schools. Tiffany is the learning analytics department leader with Ed- Edward Jones. She has a background as a teacher prior to launching her cor- corporate learning career. She has a doctorate of education, curriculum, and instruction from Linwood University. Wow, both of you have such impressive credentials, which sets us up really well for our discussion today around challenges facing L&D, especially now what's going on in the world, and the need to show value of L&D and using learning measurement to look forward. I love this piece. Welcome, ladies. I'm so excited to have both of you with me. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, Mary, let's start with you. Uh, But before we get into today's topic, can you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the role you have today? As you mentioned, I've been in financial services my entire career uh, and spent time at at different uh, fund companies and and firms such as Goldman Sachs and then spent a a long time with the Federal Reserve System. Um, But in that time, you know, have had um, all kinds of roles in how we build the uh, capability um, of teams to deliver on kind of the workplace uh, strategies. I joined Edward Jones six years ago. Um, really with the proposition of um, how we rethink learning and development, and in our case, a a highly distributed uh, workforce um, with very um, important mission of of helping our clients every day. So um, in that time, I've, uh, you know, been able to appreciate some of what we're going to talk about today, that (laughs) metrics matter. Uh, And so I'm really excited about what we're going to share. Tiffany, you want to give us a little bit on your background? And I'm intrigued because similar to myself, I went to school to be a teacher, then moved over to training. So can you tell us a, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you made that jump and maybe, you know, your jump from learning, you know, from teaching into learning design into this whole mm-hmm. analytics uh, area? We'd love to hear more about your background. Sure. Uh, So I started as a classroom teacher. I was teaching middle schoolers uh, French and language arts and really found a space in helping other teachers to improve their classroom instruction. Ended up as a teacher leader, department chair, then doing a lot of uh, curriculum writing and assessment writing. And that's where I found sort of this this passion around the idea of, you know, scope and sequence of curriculum and using data to really formatively assess what was happening in the classroom and then making changes. 
And so uh, when I went in for my doctorate, I decided to focus on adult education because I was spending so much time helping other teachers. And that's really what got me interested more in the, in the corporate world and learning how we could take what you know great classroom teachers do every day and help corporate America to um, sort of instill that lifelong learning passion and, and some of those best practices in the workplace as well. So I joined Edward Jones um, and Mary's department as a curriculum manager and really started looking at scope and sequence of our curriculum for our branch teams and thinking about how we could describe what we teach in terms of behaviors and skills that led to, you know, some work with assessment and metrics and surveys. And that's sort of how we established learning analytics at Jones um, as, as a way to measure the health and, and effectiveness of our curriculum, but also to determine how else we might help our employees to succeed. Yeah, I love it. And I, I love your approach. I know we're going to get into it in a, in a few minutes. Uh, maybe just to open this question up for both of you, because I think it's always wonderful when people in our audience that are learning professionals or talent leaders can hear from other leaders like the two of you in regards to just what are some of the current challenges that you are facing right now and especially you know things that you've had to adapt to and change based on the workplace shifts. This is Mary. I'll start. I mean, certainly um, learning and development functions have had to learn how to be more agile in response to business um, demands. Um, that's not certainly a new theme, uh, but one that has had increased velocity in the past mm-hmm. few years. Uh, and so how do we, you know, manage in a more agile fashion? That's certainly one and then given the time constraints, given really resource constraints everywhere, how do we then uh, support the organization in not only responding to kind of uh, organization um, capability demands, but then how do we know we're operating in the right space and, and doing what we need to do? So it's, it's not only speed, but it's also really a laser focus that we've needed to cultivate. Wow, you did such a great job of summing up what I've heard recently. I was on a call with um, key leaders in the talent space. And it's been interesting because I think, so I've been in the you know learning area for you know 25 years plus, and we've always said, oh, we want to be more agile and we need to be able to really align. And, and we always have felt like we needed more resources and we were constrained by resources. But wow, has this last year really, really tested, <laughs> tested us all and, you know, I'd go back to a couple years ago when we were complaining about it because it's like, oh my gosh, that was nothing compared to what we have. But it's been great. (laughs) It has been so cool to see everybody rise up. So we actually just happened to be in the middle of a project where we were experimenting with agile methodologies for the first time when the pandemic started. And so we were very, very quick to note how being set up for agile work um, and using, you know, a lot of the methodologies of a scrum team and design thinking, those things really allowed us to to keep going when a, a lot of the the workforce around us was shutting down because they were they were almost paralyzed by everyone having to be home and so we were really fortunate to have just made the right decision at the right time so that our our work could continue for me 
being agile is all about that process of, you know, trying something, testing it and letting the data tell you what the next tweak should be. And, you know, Mary, as you're describing our constraints, our resources, our need for agile decisions and, and being able to really work with what we've got and, and, and demonstrate that value. That to me is data everywhere, right? You're, you're much more effective designer if you know what's happening and you can gather the data to understand in this moment in time, what's the next move and, and how do we stay agile? So the data mm-hmm. really supports that ability. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe for our um, non-learning audience members, you could give a little overview of this whole process of being using more agile processes or design thinking, just maybe just a little more context. Could you do that? Sure, absolutely. The agile methodology really came out of um, industries that that do more of the manufacturing side or, or product management. But the, the concept is that Instead of taking, you know, this extended amount of time, sometimes years to design this perfect product and then releasing it out into the world and seeing what happens, agile methodologies are really about, okay, we've got a tight team. They're very focused. They are independent and autonomous, and they are continuously making um, the small tweaks that they need to make in order to ensure that that product in whatever prototype they're in is actually going to meet Um, the customer's need, or in our case, the learner's need. And so rather than spending months upon months designing something without any sort of input from, from our learners, we were actually on a daily basis checking in with them and iterating and, and, and gathering data to, to understand if the learning was actually going to be effective or not. So um, that's, that's part of Agile in a nutshell, but totally encourage anyone who's looking to either increase their their product design game, or just understand how high-functioning teams work, Agile is definitely a methodology that can be helpful. Yeah, no, you did such a great job of describing that. And as I saw it kind of come into the workplace, it was challenging because if you grew up and you had always done, you know, more of these elaborate processes to develop things, you know, and all of a sudden people are saying, well, you know what? No, you know, 20% is good. Let's just get it out there and test it. And people are like, whoa, what's going on? So I think it was a <laughs> mind <laughs> a mind shift. <laughs> So, but I would think, you know, in the financial services that they're a little more cautious about putting things out there. Is Was that something you guys had to overcome or, or was it already an environment of, you know, let's kind of be a little more fluid. How did, how did you get your even other team members and the company to be such a supportive culture of where you are now? Um, you know, I would say we're still really cautious with with what goes to the forty thousand plus in, into the field, and and we've just gotten better at iterating uh, in smaller bites. So I think we used to be, you know, we had to have everything a hundred percent, and and started kind of chunking content a little bit more uh, and things of that nature. So in smaller slices, it's it's kind of easier to have that conversation. Uh, it helps if you think about we're getting, we're really getting away and you have to, I mean, you have to get away from, we'll wait and release something until everything's completely perfect because it just, that's just not even realistic in today's environment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The speed of business moves entirely too quickly to let something like that happen. And I think 
we were not certainly the first at the firm to start thinking about design thinking or, or designing with agility. But, you know, even our first foray out when we were looking at learning experience design from an agile perspective, it didn't take our stakeholders very long at all to see the value because they were in the room making the things happen. And so very quickly, we were able to gather some sponsors and some some real champions from from our stakeholders who were able to give a give us a little bit of faith and trust and and come along for the ride. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where once you get started, you get that momentum and it just keeps building on itself. Starting small is really okay. Yeah. So you guys talked about how fast things are changing. And wow, is that ever true, especially when you look at the marketplace and customer needs changing. Let's talk a few minutes about the employees and how have you seen their needs or how you engage or how they want to be engaged shift or change? And and how have you guys responded back to that? Even before the global pandemic and all of the issues happening socially, I think we were starting to see folks feel a little, um, they feel their mind share is, it has been spread a little too thin, right? And so it becomes even more important, particularly in the learning and development space, that learning it be as seamless as possible from your everyday work and that experience. We can't afford to take you out of the office for you know a week or two to go to an elaborate training four or five times a year. And so it's really about meeting the employees where they are in their work and being as, as careful as possible not to disrupt their work while also making it easy for them to find what they need so that they can be successful. Ultimately, for, for our clients, it's about making sure that everything, you know, continues, is stable. We're getting them the best information so they can make the best choices possible. And that that really just involves really understanding the branch to support the client and what we can do to support them as they are getting through that daily work. Wow. What you just said, I think if our audience were to write down those points and then you go back and evaluate if your organization is doing those things, you know, like meeting the employees where they need, not being a disruption, because sometimes I think that's where, you know, the bosses of the employees are like, oh, they have to go to training instead of, yay, they get to go to training, you know, and and really... Wow, that was really, we'll make sure that in the summary, those points are listed so our audience can go back and double check that because I just think you said that so nicely, Tiffany. So what are some of the ways, I mean, other than what you just said, that you're showing the value of L&D? Because I think this is so critical right now. We talked about, you know, making sure that you are aligned with the business, but then what do you do to really show the value of L&D? I think the value of L&D comes out when the business is achieving its results, right? Uh, So, I mean, that alignment uh, couldn't be more evident. It's hard to to show that alignment from a from a data perspective, but we've really taken steps to do the work to show that um, as best we can. One of the things that we've been focused on, and back to even the agility parts, is working with our business areas to get really, really clear on what does matter. So we were talking about the employee overload. Well, you know, kind of an antidote to that is making sure we only give you what you need. And so there's a tremendous amount of work that goes in with the business areas to be really clear on what that is. Tiffany hit on this notion uh, of adoption. And instead of our traditional 
uh, learning metrics, whether it's Kirkpatrick, Brinkerhoff, I mean, some of what we're all used to, um, really took a look at how could we measure adoption of behaviors. So back to we know what you need that we think is going to make a difference to the business, um, and how can we start looking at that? So it really is about understanding what are the business measures that we would say we were successful. And then for us, what are those behaviors? And then how do we start understanding if those behaviors were adopted? And that's such a practical way of looking at it because, you know, I grew up in, in learning and development during the time when, you know, measurement was coming out and you had all of these different levels. And, and I remember as a learning leader, like, okay, we got to start off here and do level one, two, three, four. And then, you know, when you get up to four, it's really connecting. But I love how you're saying, because you're saying is let's figure out what they really need, what matters and figure out how to show that alignment. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah, so I, I think one of the ways that we do that is by flipping that level one, two, three, four on its head. So we start with that business metric and we do some backwards design. So pressing on that metric, what's the behavior that's really going to move the needle? And sometimes stakeholders aren't exactly sure. And so then we get into this this agile back and forth of, well, let's try this. Did that make a difference? No, let's try something else. And I think that part of the adoption story or really understanding whether or not an employee is going to adopt new learning happens because of the high impact learning. But so much of the story happens when the training is over. There are so many outside factors that are really influencing whether you as an adult learner are going to apply what you've learned. And often in L&D, we, we ignore that, right? So we say, you know, I'm going to test you at the end of this module and see if you know it. And that's how I'm going to prove to my business owners that that my learning was great. You passed a test. But that says nothing about how you're going to transfer that skill into your work. In our industry, testing has its own challenges. And so how else can we gather data to understand if employees are going to adopt? I think the other thing that I would say here is that while it is important to be able to say, you know, we moved the needle on that business metric, we're also finding ourselves in this thought partner space in terms of decision guidance along the way. So more of a formative assessment, right? What do they need next in order to make sure that that training investment that we just made has its maximum impact, right? So do they need a follow-up? Do they need coaching support? Do they want more advanced training? Do they want a reminder or uh, an accountability partner? How else can we help them as they look to apply? At Jones, what we're doing now is we're actually going to the learners to, to get their input at the end of training to determine what else they need beyond that, that very, very important curriculum in order to actually make the business move. Mm, I love that. Can you tell us more? How, how are you engaging with these learners? Sure. Yeah, we have a standardized survey. It's called the Learner Adoption Index. And it, it's a grown-up big brother, I would say, maybe, of uh, the smile sheets that we all used in, in training for so long. But instead of asking, you know, how was lunch or, you know, was your, was your trainer funny or, you know, do you feel like this was good, good learning here? Instead, we asked them to tell us about their attitude or perspective toward the, the behaviors they just learned. So we invite them to talk about 
um, their level of engagement and motivation. We emphasize, will this thing that you just learned actually make a difference in your clients' lives? Because frankly, if it doesn't, we don't think they'll adopt it. Um, you know, we ask about their, their perception of their leadership support, what additional support they might need, things like that. We take their answers to that survey, and we've been able to um, correlate those answers to their likelihood to, to adopt the training back at their branch. So essentially what we can say is, hey, take this quick 10-question survey as you're leaving training, and I can predict your next three months of success with this outcome. Um, we've gotten our reliability up to a 90%, which is really quite impressive after, you know, just a few tweaks. The measure's rather reliable and valid and also offers our, our learners the ability to get that instant feedback and that instant support. So in the survey, they're actually then being directed to the types of support they need so that we're not waiting, you know, weeks or months to figure out whether or not that training was successful. And as you and I were talking, Tiffany, getting ready for this call, you were talking about how you try to use, you know, analytics to look forward. And so it sounds mm-hmm. like you're getting some of that data. Is there are other ways that you're using this data to really help ensure that you're doing the right training, whatever they need next that you figure it out and you deliver it in the right way? Absolutely. So so you're continuously monitoring individuals for what they need, but you're also looking at trends. So when we see engagement trends or motivation trends or anything else, frankly, drop over time, we have early indicators. It's sort of like a canary in the coal mine. Something's going on here. But there are other metrics that we can tie to that as well. And, and we have lots of feedback loops. We're looking at sentiment analysis. So how are people feeling? We ask for direct feedback on particular types of training in, in terms of you know whether or not that was just right for them or if it was at the right time. And we use all of that, not just for the individuals, but really for the trends over time. So we will compare programs against each other or trainings against each other to determine, you know, is one mode more successful right now? Um, if we invite, you know, like a, a veteran from the field to participate, for example, in that training, was, was that helpful to them? Should we continue to do that in maybe more different spaces? So definitely using uh, the information in a variety of ways, both to up our game, so to speak, for the next set of learners, but also to follow that set of learners and understand uh, what else they might need in the future. And so when you guys started, you know, this journey, it sounds like you have the top of the line approach to looking at analytics and using them. Um, Thinking to back to our audience that's listening today, if they're not at this level, which I think, you know, there's a lot of companies, it it still comes up as an opportunity to align learning and especially show the value. What advice would you give them in, you know, putting together an analytics uh, strategy or, you know, increasing the value uh, seen by stakeholders of learning and development? Start simple. And, and put the learner at your focus. None of this requires big data. It does not require fancy analytics tools. You can accomplish everything I just described with Excel spreadsheets. You know, I think a lot of folks get very overwhelmed by the idea of data and they think that it requires this Amazonian level <laughs> amount of, of data scientists behind you. But it really is basic data collection and, and some, some very curious questions, honestly. Um, I would say that 
one of the things that, that made us most successful was, was Mary as a champion for data going to other stakeholders and saying, listen, you, you're asking for data. This is a way we can get it for you. Can you sponsor and champion and support us? Everyone wants data. They want, and they want good data to help guide their decisions. But when you're starting out, one of the easiest ways to gain traction is to, to actually take some data and demonstrate how you might use it to, to guide a decision. Because as soon as stakeholders see, oh, we can actually use something very simple and, and make some decisions based on that, they're hungry for more. Um, and soon you're increasing their interest, their, their willingness to invest in that process, and, and you, just, you just grow from there. The other thing that's very evident listening to the two of you is you are very aligned with the business and it sounds like you have great relationships with the business partners. And I think that's such a critical piece because you need to really understand what they they need uh, and you need to align your efforts, um, but you also need to know if you're not on track. So are there some tips that you would give to our audience members that's trying to create those stronger business relationships so that they stay more aligned and they have that open lines of communication? Yeah, one of the first things, you know, I encourage any learning and development professionals to do if you haven't already done so is really learn the business of your organization. It sounds simple, but learn how the firm makes money (laughs) and and learn how that happens. Uh, Because I think if you're not uh, credible and you cannot speak in the language of the business, it's, it's much harder um, to affect some of the changes we need to, to make. Second is, you know, do a lot of listening as to what would those business areas define as valuable. So some of what we define as valuable is absolutely not what they define as valuable. And that goes back to being able then to kind of frame what you're doing in their terms and not your terms. Uh, that's critically important. And then uh, I would say to Tiffany's point, this isn't kind of challenging from an infrastructure standpoint and what you need to get started, but I would say get started and kind of old adage of start showing some small wins to uh, gain, gain that traction. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think where we've had the most success uh, has been <laughs> almost, the, you know, you, you could have a volunteer rose bush in your yard. We had volunteer learning analytics, right? So we would just show up with data that no one asked for <laughs> and a well-crafted opinion on, on some thoughts on how we might improve that learning strategy. And so I think sometimes stakeholders don't know what L&D can offer. They have a notion that, that there's some support there, but if you show up as a thought partner and, and really add value to the conversation, not because you're looking to show how smart you are, right, but because you're looking to say, hey, there are opportunities here that I've, that I've noticed and I just want to make you aware of them. Um, I, I think when you, when you show up in that way and, and it's clear that you've, as Mary said, learned the business, under, you understand what's valuable to them, and you give them an example of how you can get more of that value for them through the learning or even through just the data, um, I, I think you, you tend to become a thought partner and, a, and a, a trusted strategic partner very quickly. Yeah. Well, you, you both have just interwoven analytics, the strategy to everyday work and what you do and the relationships you have and the strong alignment. 
Are there any other things that you would say you see in regards to just the field of learning analytics and how it's evolving? You talked about, you know, flipping the model and starting at the top and what business impact or what return on investment do you want to make? What other things have you seen in regards to shifts going on around analytics and measurement? One of the things we've seen, uh, and this is my my point of view, is how much more holistic uh, the analytics need to be to offer even more value. So, you know, Tiffany and I have talked a lot about, you know, how do we look at the whole ecosystem? So it's not just kind of quote unquote formal events um, that are used to build a capability of a workforce. There's a lot of factors and and things that come together to make that happen. So how could we, you know, start taking a more ecosystem view um, to make that data and and that value much more robust? I, I would say that's one thing I see. Tiffany, do you, what else do you see? Yeah. I, I, and I do think that's so important. What I used to tell my students and, you know, my advice for anyone who's new with data, humans are squishy. It's really, really difficult to be able to point to one event and say, this is the event that made this business metric happen. So the ecosystem is so important. In a lot of the industry spaces, I've been hearing this, you know, definitely predictive analytics being the future, but specifically around talent management, using that learning to really understand what are the behaviors and the experiences that that we should support or that we can provide to get our organization ready for what we need next. So it's not just predictive from a, are they going to adopt? standpoint, but also if they're going to need to be able to do X skill in two years in order for us to be competitive, what must we do now? What experiences must we create or align them to now in order to get them on that career trajectory to fill that upcoming business need? So I think, you know, one, definitely the ecosystem and all of those components, but but two, you know, what what are we going to need in five years and how do we start crafting those skills and experiences now so that we're ready? Um, so that idea of, of, you know, holistic perspective, the idea of, of predictive perspective and then really optimization. How do we how do we make our business future proof, so to speak? Both of you just come across so grounded in what's going on and what you need and and coming across as just role models for continuous learning. I know that's what I hear back from my uh, audience members is, you know, how do I stay current? How do I continue to know what's going on and what what comes next in, in L&D or in the talent field? Could you share maybe one or two tips that you have in regards to just staying current and, and growing and, and learning so that you can help out your team as well as the organization? I advocate strongly reading and, and reading broadly, not just kind of practitioner, like L&D sort of things, but, you know, find people that write about analytics broadly. Um, it's really easy to do this these days on LinkedIn. There's a lot of, you know, thought leaders uh, and people participating in these spaces. So, so find them and, and follow them and actually read what they're writing. I mean, that's kind of really fundamental, but I'm always surprised at how many people don't do that. You know, and then just go deeper in those places. The formal learning events, I mean, that's just a piece of the broader puzzle. So kind of stepping back though, and, and even understanding how does your own function work and then really start learning about uh, enablers 
to our own work. So not only data, but really technology, just how you design experiences. So I'm, um, you know, a big advocate of diving into the component pieces in order to pull it all together. I joke that that's Mary's superpower, but truly like her leadership team is constantly getting information from her. Hey, check out this article. Hey, let's talk about this. Hey, let's go to this conference. And so I I think that that spirit of curiosity and and constantly wanting to research and learn more and, and think critically about the things that you read, you know, just because someone who's well-respected in the industry says something doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. So, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time, it's sort of salon style, academically rigorous conversation as a, as a leadership team, really staying, staying connected and staying present. And that's Mary's leadership. If you lead an L&D function or if you, if you have a team that reports to you, I think that's, that's, that's the first step is your own enthusiasm and, and your own willingness to, to talk about that stuff. I would also say, so I have this, this group of, um, we, <laughs> geeky analytical data nerd women, you know, we've all connected through conferences and, and workshops and have said, Hey, you, you know, we don't know each other very well, but we really like to talk data. So um, having, you know, virtual coffee every once in a while to, you know, what are you doing? What am I doing? Let's talk about, you know, did you go to a great conference recently? What's an article that you've read? Learning is very social. And so, you know, to stay connected, it's, it's not just about the reading, but also the conversation with others and, and, reaching out and making a network where you can really learn more from different perspectives, I think is so important. Yeah. And I agree with you, Tiffany. I think Mary's superpower is just her ability to keep learning since (laughs) I've met her. I mean, and that's so cool. Like you said, being curious and bringing things up so that you challenge Mm -hmm. other people because if your boss is doing that and somebody on your team, it really does, you know, create that enthusiasm and it can be contagious. So That's fabulous. And I would just reiterate what Mary said. Don't just stay in learning and development. Learn more about what your business is doing and your department and learn more so that you can help guide and align. Wonderful. So let's find out a little bit about who has helped shape both of you. Can you share with us one person from your past who's had the greatest influence on you? And and maybe you wouldn't be where you are today without that person's impact or influence. I really don't just have one person. I've been I've been super blessed um, uh, in my career. It, it's those leaders that permitted you to take a chance on something, right? So they believed in you and they gave you some space um, to take a chance on some things, um, and and were really supportive through that process. So I think, you know, as a leader it's just really important to be that leader for those on your team. Wonderful. And, and you can tell you're being that kind of leader for your people. What about you, Tiffany? Anybody come to mind? I had this wonderful mentor in my doctoral program. Um, his name is Dr. John Henschke, and he chaired the andragogy program at Lindenwood. So Andragogy is adult education. Um, I think about him often because he was so passionate about adult learning and, and this idea that learners, especially adult learners, deserve dignity and they deserve to be self-directed and autonomous and, and they should be equal partners in their education. So we really have to trust that they know what's good for them and that really it's it's mostly about facilitating their discovery of what they need when they need it and then getting out of the way. I try to make sure that our work is in service to 
representing the learner's perspective in such a way that that they're really driving, right? L&D is about putting the right breadcrumbs out so that you're not disrupting the work, but they're finding what they need when they need it. They shouldn't know you're there. He was just really instrumental in me understanding and developing that that perspective of adult learning and, and just a really terrific person as well. Right. No, I love that. Putting the right bread crimes out so that they can find them. That and I think the other memorable thing I'm walking away is that, you know, humans are squishy. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> both of those both of those analogies were wonderful. So wow, this just so many wonderful things. Do you have any final piece of advice for our talent champion listeners? The learner is is your consultant. They know what they need more than anybody else. And so you can't forget them in the design and you can't forget them in the analysis. So we absolutely focus on the business output, but you know, a lot of our opportunity in L and D is really about finding the learner where they are and then supporting and reinforcing them on that journey. So we we can't forget the individual in all of this. And the conversation also brings up for me to Tiffany's point about, we can't forget the learner. Uh, Absolutely not, but let's not forget ourselves either. So Diana, your questions (laughs) about development. And, and I think, I think as a function, uh, I think I've seen that we tend to be a little bit shoemakers. Children have no shoes. uh, And that's why I think I (laughs) kind of get a little over the top in, in pushing our own development. Right. So we can't make the organization better if we're not getting better. Uh, And so I think that's just really incumbent on us as learning leaders to make sure we're developing our own teams as well. Yeah, I love that. And that's right one on. of the, why I love doing this podcast and having wonderful guests like the two of you that are so generous in just giving back to the industry and helping people grow because people are busy. And, you know, it's showing that podcast is one of the preferred ways that individuals like to learn because I can do it on the run. And especially when you have talent like the, the two of you sharing some best practices that others can learn from and implement. So talking about learn from and implement, how could our listeners get in touch with you or continue to learn from you? We're definitely both very active on LinkedIn and, and always eager to make connections, love to learn from other people and happy to answer any questions or, or you know, even just add you to our our circle of data nerds who like to chat about L&D and everything else. (laughs) I love it. Well, you guys have been just a pleasure to interact with. We could have gone deeper in so many topics, but just to be able to have some kind of uh, set the context of what's going on now and what you guys are doing. You are definitely the role models in so many areas based on what you've shared. And I hope that you have sparked some curiosity and interest from our listeners to, you know, continue to take a deep look at what they're doing and and continue to make these improvements and and create even more alignment and value uh, for L&D. And you don't have to be scared of analytics and measurement. I remember it was like, oh, I'm not a, I'm not really an analytical person. And do I need to look at that area and, and how you just kind of bring it into your language, I think is just a wonderful trend and an evolution of measurement and analytics. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. Here's a summary of today's episode. Using agile work methodologies, Mary's team follows the model of testing, measuring, and letting the data dictate the next moves. They check in with learners on a regular basis and iterate on the learning products to ensure they're as effective as possible. 
Waiting until a learning program is completely perfect to release it to the audience is no longer a realistic strategy. Business moves too quickly. Having all stakeholders involved in the process help the team to demonstrate value and gain early champions for their work. Regularly taking people away from their jobs for extensive training events is no longer a sustainable practice at Edward Jones. Instead, the learning function is focused on meeting learners where they are, disrupting their work as little as possible, and equipping them with the tools they need to be successful. Tiffany described this as putting the right breadcrumbs out so that people can find what they need when they need it. The value of learning and development comes through when the business is achieving results. To that end, start with the business measures for any learning initiative. Work backwards from there. What behaviors are needed to drive the business measures? How do we understand if those behaviors were adopted? Test against the business measures and iterate until you get it right. Consider the whole ecosystem. What do learners need after training to ensure they're able to apply what they've learned? Use surveys to help you understand the big picture. Monitor other business trends for early indicators of an issue. Everything Tiffany and Mary shared can be accomplished with Excel spreadsheets. No complex data science or tools required to get started. Build connections with other business partners to get the data you need and help them see how they can benefit too. Understanding the overall business picture will be important so that you can show value in the areas that other business partners are working on. Tiffany says humans are squishy. It's incredibly difficult to point to one event that was wholly responsible for movement in a business metric. Because of this, analytics have to take the entire ecosystem into account. Along those lines, look forward to what skills will be needed in the coming years and start developing those skills today. Mary advocates for reading broadly and deeply, not only within the L&D field, but also on topics like analytics and technology, and more generally. She's a strong champion of continuous learning and is known for sparking conversations based on new ideas she comes across. Join us next month when we will continue relevant and engaging conversations. And don't miss an episode. Sign up on our website, talent-champions.com, to receive an email notification when new episodes are released, as well as to receive bonus information. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider.